0: Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Rent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. Cushman and Wakefield Senior Director Carol Henderson brings more than 15 years of experience in assisting domestic and international clients in site location decisions resulting from relocation, expansions, or consolidation. She has managed location strategies for corporate clients in healthcare, biotechnology, pharmaceuticals, telecommunications, and information technology. Carol has secured business incentives for a variety of small and large real estate transactions, including manufacturing, corporate headquarters, research and development, specialty healthcare facilities, call centers, and data centers. One of Carol's more notable projects was the $1.3 billion. Baxter International Biotechnology Manufacturing Facility, where she successfully secured more than $200 million in state and local tax incentives. Please welcome Carol Henderson. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So let's talk about uh, technology, high tech. And, you know, a lot of times, Carol, I hear communities saying, and what's interesting is you've been on both sides of this. So you've, heard it as a consultant, but also as at the state level or local economic development level, communities that say, I want high-tech jobs. It's really easy to say that without actually understanding what it takes to be competitive in that high-tech arena. So with your extensive experience on both sides, especially in the healthcare, biotech, pharmaceutical, telecommunications, and IT sectors, all which have very uh, diverse but uh, essential high-tech functions, what types of communities right now are excelling successfully in recruiting these types of industries.
1: So, um, you know, this is this is like you said a very uh what I call sexy topic for com- communities. Everybody wants it because they do bring high-paying jobs. However, it's it's very related to I would say per- perception to uh education. And it's, um, and, and it's very skilled workforce. Um, across the country, um, uh, there's a big shortage in software developers, IT. It just, uh, that, that's just across the countries. So taking that into account, communities that really don't, that say they want it, but don't really understand the, the types of workers and workforce that, that this industry needs, they're, they're already, um, behind in, in actually being able to compete for it. Um, the communities, I think, that have done a good job are those that have been focused, and it's been a very long process. If you talk to Austin, if you talk to Seattle, if you talk to Atlanta, these are people who have really sort of had a 10-year concerted effort in actually building out that industry. Um, most of those have what I would say in Anchor University. You've got Duke. You've got NC State for engineering. You've got Georgia Tech. You've got, you know— um, Seattle's got a wealth of universities, you know, so you've got it's sort of an anchor there. And then they've built around, I mean, some of them have large uh, anchor companies. So then you already have a workforce there. Some of them have small companies that have built up, but they have all had a concerted effort to really build um, the type of workers that's needed. And you, you, re- it's really about the workforce. It's really about being able to not just say that you want it, but that you actually can that you have a sustainable workforce that's already there, and that you have one that you can recruit. So that gets to quality of life. And every community says we have the best quality of life. (laughs) Do you have a quality of life that would attract these type of workers? And that's that can be different. It's not just millennials. It's a different quality of life. Do you have a creative sort of quality of life? These um, workers typically don't like to drive very far. They like to be around other educated and people they like to be where they're sort of a critical mass of these companies. So it's really what I consider an ecosystem. And if you look across the country at areas that are excelling, they really have built out an ecosystem for for technology.
0: Do you find which camp comes first? I mean, the quality of life or having you know this base here that anchor with the universities, for example, um, in helping create that high-tech ecosystem?
1: I think so I would say, the, the, univ- the universities, I would think really probably come first because, but you're not going to keep the, the graduates if you don't have the quality of life. So it's sort of chicken and egg. Um, but I would say, I mean, if you look at Seattle, they didn't really have much of a quality of life. I mean, where Amazon's at, it was, it was a downtown area that was not the most thriving. Um, Atlanta had sort of this whole corridor that was a bunch of vacant buildings. Um, and then, you know, Boston, I think is, and I didn't mention Boston, but Boston, I think has been a good example of, it's always sort of had that very, um, Cambridge has sort of been, you know, we're very educated, but it's also got a really cool vibe. Do you have a cool vibe factor? And sort of, you have to th- think, you know, what's going to keep these people here? What's going to make them want to stay here? And that has to do with, you know, creativity, startup money. Is there venture capital money? Do you have local investors that are willing to invest in it? And more than anything, I tell people, do you have the patience to be, be able to really sustain, you know, working with your startup companies, taking the risk with them until they can begin to grow?
0: So these are established communities already, you know, well-known thriving tech sectors, uh, but we've got other ones. So let's just, you know, this is Mississippi Prospects, so let's talk about Mississippi. And we certainly do fight a perception problem across the country. There's a large segment of the country that is not familiar with Mississippi. They think we're uneducated. They're surprised that we wear shoes, have indoor plumbing. Do you think often uh, a community, and uh, not to single out Mississippi, but we can be in denial uh, about how we're perceived outside and, how do we overcome some, uh, some of those misperceptions? Uh, um,
1: I think all communities are in denial about how they're, per- <laughs> how they're, how they're perceived. I mean, because, it, it, you know, I think especially in economic development, we get so caught up and we know our assets and we know our story. but And so we just assume, well, everybody else has to know how wonderful we are. But outside of it, people kind of go, oh, yeah, well, no, that's not what we – Thought you had. And so a lot of times you have to get a company to come to a place to visit, to actually experience, to get to understand the flavor of a community. Um, I will say that Mississippi does, I think, continue to suffer from a uh, perception. Um, and I wouldn't say it's so much uneducated. I think, um, I do think one of the perceptions that's been good for Mississippi is that they've been able to attract so much automotive. And automotive now has become, uh, it's not traditional automotive anymore. People have kind of looked at automotive as an advanced manufacturing sector. So I think that that's helped raise Mississippi's profile of a more trained workforce. Um, Mississippi has universities, great, great universities. Um, for some reason they have, they've got a lot of a brain drain where people graduate and then they move on to other areas, which other, other, I would say, um, Communities have that. I would say, if I was in Mississippi, I would look at a place like uh, Tennessee. Um, Tennessee, for a long time, it was just kind of known what is music, music capital. But no one really thought of it as a place for high tech, for um, healthcare IT, um, for, you know, that. And then Nashville, all of a sudden, has just taken off.
0: It's thriving And I look at
1: Nashville. I mean, think of Jackson. Think of, you know, think of Hines County. You know, think of some of the areas in Mississippi that could... I look at that and say, why can't they be like a, Nash- they could be Nashville? But that was really a concerted effort in branding, taking the universities and building that asset. I mean, a lot of it's about branding. So I think Mississippi's got to really, you know, think about what do we want to be and how can we brand that and how can we leverage? I mean, I, I leverage, you know, the, uh, the, the automotive sector and what you guys have done there and how well it's been and the skills and, and make sure that people understand the skills and the talent and what's required to work in now. An automotive plant, you know, versus 20 years ago, you just come out of school with the diploma and that'd be enough.
0: You know, and those those types of jobs uh, are viewed often by people who don't know a lot about them as sort of traditional manufacturing jobs. All of these jobs now do have that high tech component due to increased automation, which means there's definitely a growing need for a workforce which can write basic code. And to keep these automated systems working, you need some of those skills. Um, how about a unique approach that you may have seen to addressing, uh, these technological skills gaps that a lot of these companies are facing in their workforce? And, you know, perhaps it's been in a community that you've worked with. Mm-hmm.
1: So coding's an interesting one. Um, I have seen more and more communities actually start offering coding, um, all the way down to middle school. Middle school levels. There have been, I've, I've worked in a community, a small community actually in Tennessee, um, which actually reached down to the uh, middle school levels and offered some coding programs um, with some large um, healthcare IT companies that brought them in and did some internships. Um, and this, again, these were summer programs. We'll offer these for you to come in and do coding. There's a lot of now online coding available. Um, Communities are offering that. But more and more I'm seeing communities not just go into the college level. They're reaching out and going. These are programs that are offered at technology. I mean, at uh, technical colleges, community colleges. um, Because what we're finding from companies is they don't necessarily need a person with a four-year degree. What they need is somebody that's got a specific skill. And if they can train that person, where that person has learned coding, and maybe they didn't finish college, that, that they would probably still hire that person.
0: So we have a great program uh, in Mississippi. It's in uh, Columbus and also in Jackson, Coding Academies. Uh, intensive 11-month training, free to the student. And is supported by, uh, WK Kellogg Foundation, uh, gave a grant as well as, uh, some funding from the state and other sources. And they're really working on getting the private sector, but they're taking these non-traditional students. In many cases, some have four-year degrees. Some do not. Some may have a two-year. Some may not have even, uh, nothing more than a high school diploma and are teaching them to do that. However, the class sizes are still small. You know, we're talking maybe 18 students graduating at a time. Uh, there's also another program up in Water Valley, Mississippi, which this is based upon. Um, it seems to me that the, you know, our side of things, the, the economic developers and the community leaders need to look at more partnerships with yes, our companies. Absolutely. And that's what these, and
1: that's what, uh, the, the, the one, the examples that I was giving you in Tennessee and actually in Georgia has done the same thing. It's been, it's been led by the private sector, not by the public. The private sector has said, we got to do something. We need this. And, you know, and then you brought the, the educational institutions together and said, how can, how can we make this happen? What can we do? Um. And I think more and more people are sort of looking uh, across the, the, the pond over in, in Europe and saying, everybody doesn't have to go to college now. You know, these are non-traditional students. You know, I mean, if you look at how much the kids are always on their computers or playing games and maybe that, that person's not going to be great in math or science, but. Would, could learn coding. I mean, it's amazing to me how the kids all know coding now. Half of them know it without even, without having any
0: real training. It's like breathing to them in, and, in and so
1: cases. I think that there's got to be more of a concerted effort um, that economic developers have to think differently. Than they than the way that we have in the past, and um, start and, and I'm not going to say looking uh, outside the box. I think looking actual, actually inward into here's our community, here's what we have, and what can we do? You know, it's not about land and building and pushing dirt anymore. It literally is about human capital and what can we do different um, because we know now that. Technology changes so rapidly that a traditional uh, four-year education is not going to be for everyone, and a traditional four-year education cannot keep up with the pace of technological change and advances. So, even if you come out with a four-year degree, we have c- companies that say, "Yeah, but they're still not—they're still not trained in what we need." So, we still need them to go back to a technical college and get a certification in X, Y, and Z. I
0: seeing a lot more successful sort of work-study programs, mm-hmm. where uh, Toyota does this up in North Mississippi, where. Students enrolled in school, but they're working part-time also. And when they're done uh, with the program and the internship, uh, they're ready to mm-hmm, work mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. trained.
1: Absolutely. You know, there's, a, there's a, a company that I'm familiar with also um, that has reached down into um, a, a high school. This is in a, in a community that has a very low poverty uh, level and a very high dropout rate for high, uh, uh, high school it's, a, it's over 70%. It's very high. Well, there's a company that's um, a manufacturing company that needed a workforce, and they just, they were like, we can't get a workforce here. We just can't. So they went into the high school and said, we will offer positions to these people. And, you know, these are some, some kids who dropped out because they had a baby and they couldn't afford daycare or whatever, and have given these people jobs, paying them, you know, $11, $12. Well, that's a lot for a high school student. But, but the condition is you have to go to class. You can't miss class, and you have to graduate. And if you graduate, we'll guarantee you a job, at least your first year. So these they said they like that. They're, they're giving back to the community, and more and more companies want to be good corporate citizens and give back to the community, help to build the pipeline for the workforce. But more importantly, they said they're teaching them the soft skills. And that is that has been something that's been very, very hard for companies to get now is getting work, getting a workforce that has good soft skills.
0: Well, we changed the way we communicate with each other. And along with that, many other factors have gone those soft skills, the interpersonal communication, um, showing up for work on time. You know, there are other barriers, too. And I've heard of communities uh, to employment, uh, public transportation. Um Daycare, healthcare, you know, all of these things. And um it's been interesting. Milwaukee Tool, uh, which has a very large presence in our state, uh, they set up an on-site healthcare clinic in in Greenwood at their Greenwood uh, uh assembly and manufacturing facility. And they said their absenteeism went down. They have more people who are just looking to get on with them. And you know, this is in the Mississippi Delta. Uh Historically, a very rural area, and they're thriving there. So it's interesting how companies are really leading the charge in many of these cases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, Mississippi also is uh, working very hard. Uh, We have a a fantastic teaching hospital and healthcare corridor in uh, the Jackson area and throughout the state. um, Some great healthcare facilities, Uh, but attracting healthcare industry, you know, which is also another offshoot high high tech sector uh, to the state can be challenging. Um, We do have specific healthcare-related incentives, but is this really enough? And I'm asking this question. I already know the answer to this. But, you know, uh, for the sake of discussion, uh, to kick it off, is this enough to attract high-tech healthcare industry? And I know we probably need to break down Mm -hmm. a little Mm -hmm. further what we mean by healthcare industry. Right,
1: right. So let's just say along the spectrum of the healthcare industry, let's just say we're talking about R&D, research and development, okay? Um, Is it enough to have incentives for research and development? No, because research and development, again, goes back to workforce. So I always tell people, I don't care how much money you throw at a project. Incentives are gravy on the top. They don't make a good deal bad. They just don't, you know. So if you don't have the workforce, it doesn't matter. So um, the incentives should be something that you layer on top. And incentives to me also cannot be a cookie cutter approach. It has to be. If you're wanting to attract a healthcare industry, do you understand the industry? Let's take now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, biomanufacturing. Mississippi is a very good base for manufacturing. It's got a strong base for manufacturing. I know uh, that Baxter has a facility in Cleveland, has been there for a very long time.
0: Very well established.
1: Though. Very well established. And they like that facility. Um, I know that uh, they, they've got a very low turnover. That's been there a long time. Now, that, when you look at biomanufacturing, do you understand that, you know, it's got to be, there's, it's got to go through a long approval process. So if you're offering property tax abatement, are you saying, you know, we're going to give you a 10-year property tax abatement that's going to start in year one? That means nothing to a company in biomanufacturing because we're not making product for probably three or four years. So, you know, a com- now, so a community that's very rigid and is not willing to understand how an industry operates that doesn't have flexibility to say, oh, okay, we get that. Okay. Uh, c- you know, uh, a company, a uh, manufacturing facility that says, we need a lot of water and we need to guarantee that you're going to give us this amount of water for our for a product, a community that says, well, we can't do that. That's again, again, you don't understand the industry. So um, it's not necessarily the incentives. It's do you have a good understanding of the industry and what their needs are? What is it going to take for that, cons- that uh, uh, industry to operate in your community and be successful? Do you have the resources from a capital, um, from a human capital standpoint, from a natural resource standpoint? And layering on top of that, do your incentives speak to what their
0: needs are? Is it also important in this field? And we're talking about technology from healthcare, you know, to advanced manufacturing. Uh, do we really need greenfield space uh, in this discussion for a lot of these? Or again, uh, maybe that's too broad. You know, it depends upon more of the sector. So
1: I would say yes. So if you're talking about healthcare-related field facilities that support a hospital no i mean you can use existing office space if you're talking about a healthcare facility that's going to be manufacturing or research and development related it it's going to require some special things you know uh hvac it's going to be, you know clean rooms there's going to be some special things that's going to be required there so greenfield sites yes are are going to be very i think much more attractive to companies on that spectrum
0: talking about the state of uh uh, sort of the business world at large, you know, is the economic uncertainty that we're we're seeing a lot of headlines on anyway, uh, due to ongoing trade wars and tariffs. Is it affecting current strategy of your clients right now? Mm-hmm. Are they all? Do you see a, a pulling back? Mm-hmm. Is really what I'm asking.
1: Yes, uh, we do. Um, it's it's really interesting. Companies that have sort of received the green light from their board are moving fast and furious to get things done. Okay, And I think they're wanting to get things done before the end of the year. We're headed into an election year. And I think you're going to start seeing a slowdown because there's, there's already uncertainty now with the tariffs and NAFTA, but there's going to be even more uncertainty next year because we don't know who's going to be the president. And so we're not going to be, you know, people aren't really sure what direction we're headed. So we've got a couple of companies that I'm working actually with two clients right now. Um, One's in the automotive sector, and one's a supplier for the automotive sector and they've said, we've got to kind of pull back because we don't know what's going to happen with tariffs. We don't know what's going to happen with some of these things. I got another company that's doing something with steel that's kind of pulled back. And so it's not that they've canceled projects. I think everybody's in a kind of wait and see what's going to happen. Um, but things fluctuate so much that we're trying to advise clients that you can't, the political landscape is important, but we got to look at timeline. And where are you on the timeline and how important, how much is this going to delay where you are? If it's the thing about meeting your customer's needs, a lot of them are just going ahead and moving forward, but people are moving back cautiously. And what I'm seeing more and more is people are phasing in a phase one and a phase two. And where people said, we thought the phase two would happen quicker. They're now pushing the phase two off and saying, I'm not sure when phase two will happen. So much more phasing in of projects
0: a little more wait and see how things shake out. So, What can a community do right now that may be listening to become uh, more competitive in either the healthcare biotech or technology-related fields? Where would you tell them to start if they're looking to attract uh, these types of industries?
1: I would tell them to, the first place to start is to look at your assets. What do you, what, what do you truly have in your community that's an asset? Do you understand the, and for, for technology, you know, look, look at the spectrum and technology. There's a lot, I mean, there's, you know, medical devices, there's medical supplies, there's, you know, biotechnology, there's healthcare IT. Where along that spectrum do your assets fit and where can you play Figure out where you can play and then build a story in your assets around that. And build your story and your branding all around that. You know, I, I, I hate to go back to this, but I tell people all the time, North Carolina to me is an example. of a a state and a community that said, you know what, we decide we're going to play in biomanufacturing. That's just where they wanted to play. We're not going to play in R&D. We're not going to play in all these other things. But they did a concerted effort. They built training programs around that. They went to the technical and community colleges and said, let's put programs in around that. And it was about a 15-year effort. But they stuck with it. They branded themselves around that. And And now they became known as that. Perception. Did they have it? No. But again it was telling the story and branding and i tell people look at your assets decide what you want to be and build a story and a branding campaign around that
0: and exercise patience you've been talking a mm-hmm. lot about this and we haven't addressed it specifically mm-hmm. but this is not an overnight process
1: no, no. and if you, and i and you're right i have i've said in many of these examples it's been 10 years it's been 15 years and right and i think from a political standpoint, that it's very challenging for economic developers, because you have to speak to the mayors and the politicians that go, well, why don't we get that project? When are we going to get, you know, and I I used to sit on the side of the table. So I know I used to hear it all the time. (laughs) "Well, Well, how come we didn't get that 1500 person? You know, how come Amazon didn't come here? Why didn't Microsoft come here? And so people don't understand that those, a lot of those places where those things have landed, it's been a conservative long effort. You know, you've got to have patience here. You know, I think more than anything, I'm looking at regionalism. How can you market yourself as a region, especially in where there's a lot of rural communities, building, building up a, a, a more of a concentration and density of, of human capital. And that will help, um, I think to sell your story and, and create that patience from a long-term perspective.
0: Cushman and Wakefield Senior Director, Carol Henderson, helping us navigate this high-tech road. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDCinfo.